This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 609 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. A double dose of the human target, a canical for good looks, the lost children are found, Helena meets the OG JSA, Satan has a deal for you, Junkyard Joe goes to the VA, fables do a time jump, and minor threats take over. This is How I Got My Way to Read Comics for Sunday, February 5th, 2023. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just to remind you, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, and call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. The Human Target books 10 and 11 from DC Black Label by King and Smallwood. After a long delay in the middle of the run, DC has apparently decided to crank them out at the end. Chance drugs ice in order to check out a lead, specifically GL Comic Relief Nort. Yes, he was in the JLA. Chance's interior monologue makes it clear he suspects ice again. Nort, an alien humanoid dog, is confused. Shouldn't Chance be speaking to a real GL about all this? After Nort got lost once, the Guardians gave him direct access to a spatial gate that takes him straight to Oa, and Chance joins him. We learn that a room of records records every moment of a GL's life. Nort once let Superman in and got into a lot of trouble for it. Now he's letting Chance in, who wants the truth about Guy. While Nort gets drunk, Chance reads that Guy is very much alive. He also learns that everyone has a file there, and he reads the Christopher Chance file. He's less than impressed with it. On the way out, they run into a guardian, and Nort promptly barfs on him, then knocks him out. Back on Earth, they stop at a pharmacy, while Nort tries to justify his own actions. Off to a pool hall, Kevin and Keats. Kevin McGuire and Keith Giffen created the JLI where they find Guy, who was intending to lay low. Guy stupidly agrees to fight Chance sans ring, and Chance uses the opportunity to slap something on Guy's cheek. He read in Guy's file that he's deathly allergic to peanuts. He notes that ring bearers usually tell their rings about such vulnerabilities, but since Guy is an insecure idiot... Chance got an EpiPen at the pharmacy and blackmails Guy into telling him the truth about his death. In the next issue, Chance confronts Ice. They spend a day at the beach, swimming in the ocean, and when Chance is tired, Ice whips up a small ice island for them. She notes that when Chance collapsed, she saved him. Now she wonders why she did it. We get the backstory to the crime. Ice was controlled by Overmaster, and when she broke free of his control, Overmaster killed her. Later, she was brought back, by which time Overmaster had already been defeated. Still later, Guy finds out that Luthor brought Overmaster into their world, making Lex responsible for her temporary death. 
Guy has a plan for revenge, but Ice knows Guy will fumble it. So she decides to do it herself. Ice confides this to Fire. Lex's heart will freeze. Fire suggests an alternative that won't lead to Ice going to prison. As we already knew, Fire procured poison via John, Ted, and Booster, and then used it on Lex, she thought. So Ice decided to stick to Chance just in case. She set up Guy's death with the latter bending light rays to make it look like he kicked the bucket. Guy's the murderer and the victim. They would wait out Chance until he died and then set up a new Lex plan. Chance responds by sliding off the ice island, and when she says he could have broken his neck, he replies, I don't know, there are worse ways to go. They return to the shore post-canoodling, and ice snaps, destroying the car and slapping Chance. She isn't sensed that Chance is taking this all so well. It was all a scam, don't you understand? I'm a monster. How stupid are you? She grabs Chance's gun and points it at her own forehead. And I'll, I'll do it because, because I love you. Next issue, wrapping up the case. Danger Street, book two from DC Black Label by King, Fornis, and Stewart. We begin with Goodlook's funeral, attended by the rest of the Dingbats and Lady Cop, where they grieve his passing. Meanwhile, Warlord and Starman check in at a motel using the last name Grell. Mike Grell created Warlord. They need to come up with a plan to save themselves, although Starman is in shock. Warlord tells him they're brothers, and he won't leave him behind. Meanwhile, Manhunter blows up a ship where the Commodore is supposed to be. The hunt has commenced. Jack Ryder ties the explosion to the mysterious Outsiders on his news commentary show. Back to Lady Cop, checking in at various gas stations trying to track down the car used by Warlord and Starman. Back to the green team playing poker. There's a joke told about punching the biggest guy to earn respect, which doesn't work. Back to Ryder, now in his creeper persona, torturing a snitch to learn more about the Outsiders. And then back to the dingbats at the cemetery. They plan to find out who did this and kill them. After a day checking gas stations, Lady Cop stops by the dingbats to give them a progress report. When she says she's found nothing so far, they slam the door in her face. Back to Warlord and Starman, with the latter having an epiphany. Use Fate's helmet to bring the kid back to life. On Apocalypse, Highfather announces to Darkseid that Atlas the Great is gone, the sky is falling. Darkseid is shocked, and they hug. Cut to oil rigs where there's a problem. Before anything can be done, there's a massive explosion. We see a corpse and a hard hat that says Houston, who happens to be a member of the original green team. Back to Ryder, who gets a call from the Commodore, thrilled at his Outsiders coverage. When Ryder mentions his own research on them, the Commodore cuts him off. During all this, there's a guy tied up in front of the Commodore, who is shot by what appears to be Codename Assassin, first issue special number 11. Back to Lady Cop, who finally comes up with a lead. To be continued. This is all very confusing to me, Mark. <laughs> it certainly is. They tend to work out in the end in these special king things, but it's very confusing right now. I almost wish they would put out like an equivalent to the Godfather saga yes. of these things, where it's like, here's all the storyline for this character, and then here's all the storyline for this character. Because right now, he is constantly switching back and forth among a very large cast. Yes, and sometimes I think maybe part of it is in the future, or maybe, you know, it's very hard to tell. Yeah. 
Stargirl, The Lost Children, number three of six by Johns, Knock, and Herms. We begin with Red Arrow, now in a cell, trapped by the Childminder. Over to Courtney, along with Wing, Cherry Bomb, Airwave, and Robbie, the robot dog, who are taking her to meet the rest of the gang and hide out. When they say there's no escape from the island, Stargirl flies up to leave and gets blasted by Airwave to save her. The eggs return, and they run off to the hangman's treehouse. Back to Red Arrow, who wakes up, only to hear another voice on the other side of the wall. Whoever it is is trapped on a treadmill and assumes the girl is speedy. Before they get a chance to talk, the child minder arrives, who's a wide-awake nightmare. Back to the gang in the treehouse, where we get a two-page spread of The Lost Children. Introductions are given. The Blue Boys and Little Miss Redhead, Sensation Comics number 72, 1947. The original Newsboy Legion, Star Spangled Comics number 7, 1942. And the others just introduced to the DCU. TikTok, Sidekick to Our Man, John Henry Jr., Molly Pitcher and Betsy Ross, Sidekicks to Miss America, Ladybug, Sidekick to Red Bee, Salem the Witch Girl, Sidekick to Dr. Fate, Quiz Kid, Sidekick to Mr. Terrific. This is interrupted by Corky Baxter, Sidekick to Rip Hunter, as seen in Flashpoint Beyond. He's there to save them all once they find Jay Garrick's daughter and unravel this manufactured purgatory. Back to Red Arrow, who fights with a childminder, only to get her short-term memory wiped. We hear the voice from the other side of the wall saying that childminder's pixie dust is no match for her metabolism. If you haven't been given enough clues by now, the final page will be a shock. It's Judy Garrick, strapped to a treadmill, generating energy for what? I need your help getting back to my parents. They gotta be worried sick by now. And as far as we know, Jay Garrick never had kids, right? Right. So this is a surprise. Yes. And Mm. even after Judy was there, she disappeared, and then Jay and all of them forgot that she existed. Yes. Justice Society of America number two of 12 by Johns, Janin, and Belair. We start with a tight shot of the snow globe and watch from Flashpoint Beyond, cutting to a shot of the Huntress in what appears to be a medical room. She hears voices talking about her and she walks in on the classic JSA. Hawkman, Golden Age Adam, Dr. Fate, Golden Age Green Lantern, Golden Age Flash, Sandman, Spectre, Our Man, Johnny Thunder, and Thunderbolt. Jay asks if she's okay. Does she need help? She replies, I'm a member of the Justice Society in the future. My team was murdered. I was told Dr. Fate could help me save them. When Thunderbolt notes that he's never met someone from the future, Johnny reminds him of the Legionnaire. When Dr. Fate tries to read her mind and confirm her bona fides, he's zapped and sent to 1941, meeting Salem the Witch Girl. They're searching for Solomon Grundy. They find him fighting with Mr. Miracle, the Golden Age edition. As they team up against Grundy, Fate is zapped back. Cut to 10 years from now. Helena is in the principal's office with Selena, saying she saw the stranger again. Selena never wants to hear about the boogeyman again. Cut to 26 years from now, with Catwoman fighting per Degaton. This is directly after Huntress was tossed back in time. When Degaton demands where Huntress is and threatens Selena to make her join her father, we cut to gravestones of Bruce and Selena. Now, Degaton is off to find Helena. Cut to 1941 with Grundy chained up and Salem asking about her curse. 
13 years ago, with a young Selena suiting up. Eight years ago, in the midst of the Zero Hour event. One year ago, with Khalid being given Dr. Fate's helmet. And now, with Huntress popping up in front of Dead Man, Dr. Fate, we assume Khalid, and Detective Chimp? Well, why does Detective Chimp surprise you? <laughs> He's popping up all over. <laughs> but he has nothing to do with JSA. <laughs> J- oh, no. That's JLA Dark. Didn't they mention a JSA there is Dark? A, there is a JSA Dark now. Yeah. Yeah, so. they just introduced that. The Ones, number three from Dark Horse by Bendis and Edgar. So the team has met Satan, who's a kid in a suit. He's very casual about the whole situation. They challenge him, and it doesn't go well. Cut to two years ago, J-Max, Thrace, and Novus meet at a picnic table, debating about the prophecy of a baby Satan. They also discuss their disappointment of not being the real one, and whether they can trust the other ones. Back to the fight, Satan asks Wilson for documentation of the prophecy. It's not a cease and desist. It kind of is. He's screwing with them while adoring the idea of paperwork, which only exists on Earth. Then he asks them how their merchandising will work post-battle, leaving them confused. Back to two years ago, and the other ones meet separately, noting that Novus is considered good just because of her facial symmetry. Chester reminds them that she did save the world once. He also has info that baby Satan has already been born. And back to the fight. When Wilson mentions the need for balance, Satan asks if they were offered a granting, a real and powerful wish. Thrace attacks and is quickly thwarted. Satan says if the rest are willing to attack with no pay, bonus, or accolade, just because they are chosen. Back to two years ago. The whole team is together, finally. Wilson reads a prophecy to them. Each of the ones represents a facet of humanity that, as a whole, would be unstoppable in front of even the truest evil. When they ask him why he didn't tell them this earlier, the prophecy goes on to say that he was only to read it when the ones were at their lowest point. Wilson has a plan. Back to the fight. Satan has another option. Become his deputies on Earth and run things for him. Back to two years ago. Wilson tells them that Satan can't directly attack, but he can defend himself easily. He will offer them something in return for eternal damnation. If they refuse it, he's powerless. Satan will then pick one of them to challenge one of his own defenders for all the marbles. Back to the fight, which follows Wilson's prophecy. Satan picks one of them for the challenge, and it's Ava, the non-powered sidekick. She believes this is what she was chosen for. Hmm. Junkyard Joe, number four, from Image Mad Ghost, by Johns, Frank, and Anderson. The troops tracking down Joe find an old set of comic strips in a field, Peanuts, Calvin and Hobbes, and Junkyard Joe. They figure Joe might want to track down his creator, Muddy Davis. Back to Muddy and Joe, with Emily seeing them through the window, she runs, then realizes she left the drawing of her mom at the door. She meets Muddy there. Emily sees a house filled with Joe trinkets and asks if Muddy built the robot. No. Who did? Back to Emily's family with the other siblings trying to make dinner and worried about Emily. Then back to Muddy, where we learn why he retired. He pitched all his ideas for strips by his now-deceased wife, and without her, he can't do it. By this point, the other kids have come over and see Joe. Cut to a cop pulling over an out-of-town SUV and getting shot for his trouble, and then back to Muddy, with the kids asking lots of questions, and Muddy asking them to keep his secret for now. 
The next morning, the kids play it nice in front of their dad, who apologizes for snapping the previous night. Muddy takes a camouflage Joe into town, and everybody welcomes Muddy. They go to a veteran center, and they ask for help, with the manager seeing the real Joe. Later that day, the kids are coming back home from school, only to find their home broken into and the mysterious troops inside. Where's Junkyard Joe? Fables number 157 from DC Black Label by Wellingham, Buckingham, and Lealoa. We're now in the second half of a 12-issue arc, hopefully not the last arc, and it's used to tie up some things and set up the remainder of the tale. Winter is having a blast in the teacup world, and she learns the Southwind assigns someone to protect her there and make sure she doesn't leave. Outside the cup, Snow and Bigby are conferring with who... Did you, did you know who that was? It's I couldn't figure out who it was. I think it's another one of the winds, or maybe it's another one of their kids who grew up fast. I don't remember. Yeah. It's really not defined at all. Yeah. But she literally dips her fingers into the, the teacup and grabs the tiny winter and accidentally her companion. Of course, this creates a whole cosmology in the teacup world. We now experience a five-year time jump. Blossom and Hearn chase a fawn in the woods. Connor notes that it's time for their respective fathers to meet. Unfortunately, Hearn Sr. will want to take back control of the Black Forest. Bigby rejects this, noting that this could easily mess with the Waw of the Valley, a.k.a. peace and contentment. Ambrose's university is now well established, with new colleges being added all the time. Winter and her companion are exploring, with the latter wishing to go home. Winter will only agree to this if the South Wind doesn't mess with her. In the Monday world, Jack in the Green has been in prison all this time. Rikers Island is now a penitentiary devoted to housing the Sorcery Force, a new branch of the military. Cinderella, now with the Sorcery Force, is questioning her. The only reason Jack has been kept there with no trials or charges, which Jack assumes is the normal way of things, is that a dozen cops were killed and they have no one else to pin it on. Jack explains why she came to the Monday world, and Cindy offers her an out, as long as she agrees to return to the fable world and never return. Mrs. Bear has been waiting all this time, it's unclear how she survived, and they prepare to hit the road. Back to Snow and Bigby, she's a little sad that her cubs are growing up, but only a little, as she's pregnant again. Major Threats number 4 from Dark Horse by Oswald, Bloom, Hepburn, Herring, and Picos. The finale begins with Pigeon in a flashback at the point where he first felt old, finding a decapitated guard while robbing a museum. Back to current time with Stickman and our team. We learn via playtime that Stickman wants things to go back to simpler times, which is why he's taking out the insomniac in his rogues gallery. Stickman drops a brain bomb into our team's necks, hands them some regular bombs, and warps them to Insomniac's Batcave-esque lair. They are to take it out with the bombs, and presumably die doing so. He tells them on the way out that one of them sold the team out, so they immediately begin accusing and attacking each other. Stickman is incensed. They were to blow it up, then kill each other. So he warps over himself, only to have his warping henchmen get bisected in the warp after a toy attacks him. Our team was playing possum. Playtime sent nano soldiers in to disarm the bombs. When? And then they played up the betrayal angle. Oh, but it turns out one of them did betray them. Pigeon. His life was crap. He was a has-been. And Stickman reached out to him. There's a big fight, and Stickman seems to have the upper hand. 
before Playtime's car flies in and bashes the bad guy into a wall. It's at this point that the insomniac returns, going into a rage when he sees that they denied him the chance to kill Stickman. There's another fight, ending with Playtime decapitating the insomniac. The public is told that Insomniac died a hero, Brain Tease is responsible for all the killing, and the Continuum agrees to stay out of Redport. Playtime cuts out Pigeon, now in a hospital bed, and, after picking up her kid at daycare, settles in as the new kingpin of Redport. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.